Hey, book lovers, we want you to know that Libro FM is the best place to buy your audiobooks because it allows you to buy from your favorite local and independent bookstore. You can choose from more than 150,000 audiobook titles and get recommendations from booksellers around the country, all for the same price as that other company. You know which one I'm talking about. Except with Libro FM, you'll be part of a different story, one that supports community. And as always, listeners of the Bookstore Podcast can get two months for the price of one when they use our new promo promo code bookstorepod, all one word, at checkout at Libro.fm. That's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M. With each listen, take pride in knowing you're supporting local bookstores. Welcome to the bookstore. It's like a book club, but we actually read the book. I'm Becca. And I'm Corinne. And let's see, this week, we are dedicating this episode to a new and or returning patron, Lisa. Thank you, Lisa, for supporting the podcast. Um, Everybody who supports the podcast on Patreon helps us pay for uh, keeping the lights on, as they say, which is paying for hosting in our website and all of that, which means that um, we can continue to bring you episodes. And also, sometimes on Patreon, we have episodes over there, too. We should record one this week. Um, but I'm not making any commitments. So. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, thank you, Lisa. Um, we really appreciate you. Yes. So I don't think we have any news. We do have our monthly challenge. So November's challenge is to read a book about death or disaster. We both chose death, really. Um, Yeah. So today we're talking about your pick. And next time we'll be talking about my pick, which is The Yield by Tara June Winch. This is set in Australia in a indigenous community. And it's about somebody coming back to their hometown for their grandfather's funeral, as far as I know. Yes. So that'll be the last one we read for November. And then we have December and we already have our books picked. Please clap. (laughs) Uh, Corinne's pick is Ice by Anna Cavan. And my pick is YN, Y slash N by Esther Yee. There we are. Um, That brings us up to today's episode, um, which is about Death with Interruptions by Jose Saramago. And if you need um, any content advisory, etc., can all be found in our show notes. And as far as spoiler warnings go, this is your warning that we talk about this book like a book club. So we sometimes can't avoid spoilers. And um, we'll try to let you know when something really big is coming up. But you know, the book is also like 20 years old. So sorry about it. (laughs) Um, Don't say that. (laughs) It was published the year I graduated high school. (laughs) Well, you know, (laughs) but yes, you're right. It is almost almost 20 years old. And as I said, the book is called Death with Interruptions. It's by Jose Saramago. It was published in 2005 in Portuguese and translated into English by Margaret Jill Costa and published in 2008 in English by um, Harcourt. The book explores what happens in a country when people stop dying. It's basically New Year's Day, one New Year's Day, people just cease to cease and it throws everything into a state of like political and administrative chaos for a while and then later on in the book we get to meet death ourselves a little bit 
Yeah. So that is it. I will say Jose Saramago did win the Nobel Prize. Uh, you know, I have also read by him Blindness, which I thought was a very good, if also like very violent and oftentimes upsetting book. I found this one to be very different because it's sort of more, I don't know, it feels to me kind of like a myth. And it also feels in some ways, like the telling of it kind of reminded me of what was the book that we read? Oh, Time Shelter. Yeah, it reminds me of Time Shelter by mm, a guy <laughs> whose name I also don't remember. Yorgi, Yorgi Gaspidinov. Yes. I don't know. There was something, it's something kind of like, uh, it feels like reading a history of something, but also kind of like an oral history. I don't mm-hmm. know. It also felt like reading a podcast in a weird way i don't know (laughs) it reads like somebody telling you a history of something so yeah (laughs) yes i agree i did really like this but i reading it while i'm reading reading it i'm like i don't know how i'm really going to discuss it because a lot of times like the criticism is already in the book so it's pretty clear like this is he's criticizing um the government the church Mm -hmm. people in general for how we're like (laughs) not caring for our sick and dead and just want them off of our hands you know things like that and so it's hard it's all in the book itself it feels like sometimes also he i think is making direct criticisms of his critics like Mm -hmm. death in the book she writes a letter and she doesn't capitalize her name and the journalists who publish the letter in the newspaper like are freaking out about like the name not being capitalized and i think that's something that he also well first of all he also does that in the book basically no names are capitalized not that any characters in this book have names except for death but you know like when he does bring up real historical figures or authors names or something they're also not capitalized so i think he's definitely like poking fun at the way that people respond to his particular writing style which does not use quotation marks just kind of feels like running on sentences extremely long paragraphs etc so that's a little funny yeah not only does he not use quotation marks but everything is also there's no paragraph breaks for when somebody else is speaking yeah and yes the paragraphs are like very long which i like that kind of thing a lot of times Mm -hmm. like i know that people can call it gimmicky to write like that but i don't know i just find it interesting and fun when people do it and when i think there's like a good enough writer i think it can add something different to the story like this is very much like like you said it's like a textbook but it also feels like it's sort of rushing you through it too Mm -hmm. everything that's happening uh so i thought it worked for the book but i did read mine as an ebook and for whatever reason i know this doesn't make any sense because i know it keeps the same format but when writers are doing something interesting i do prefer reading it in a real book i don't know why Uh but like you know how um what's her name bernadine evaristo she writes everything in that like poem kind of thing i don't think i could read that in an ebook i think i would prefer it as physical i don't know yeah and well because i think that when authors are making that choice there is some sort of 
recognition of the way that it's going to look on the printed page. And because of an ebooks, like you're able to change the size of the font and the mm-hmm. the margins and whatever. And that's all very good from like an accessibility standpoint, of course, but it can totally screw up the way that you experience you know, the way that the author maybe intended for it to come across. So it does make it more difficult. One big question I have. So this country is this not named country is landlocked. And Uh I believe it's surrounded by three other countries. Yes. So the people within the country, they can go to the other countries and die. Yes. But can the other people come into their country and, and live not die? forever? <laughs> is is that explained and I just missed it? I don't think it is. But I do also think we should cover what it means that people aren't dying. Mm, yeah. Because this isn't like you go on and live a, a healthful life, immortal forever. People basically still become ill and still become so old to the point that their bodies break down and don't you know, function any longer, and that their brains perhaps don't function all that much any longer either, but they just continue breathing. And so a lot of the times it's described as like a coma-like state. So this isn't like, this isn't, I don't know, sometimes like in the book, they people make it seem like this is like cause for like celebration. But to me, it, it seems really like a huge logistical issue, which also a large part of the book is concerned with the logistical issues. Yes. <laughs> which, as a person who always does look for like the logistical failures like <laughs> in books i really did enjoy that you got it tenfold here yeah yes yeah which is I, yeah i mean it is something that's like do you want well like why would you want to live because right. you're not really going to be living at a certain point it's just no. like your body can't make that final decision <laughs> to fully die <laughs> like you're yeah. still alive yeah but, yeah um one of the things that i liked that I was like, wow, these people are actually quite smart is the life insurance people. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We're like, how do we keep because some of that it's like the economy. It's like, how do we keep the economy going? Uh when people aren't dying. And the life insurance came up with this idea that you can you pay into your premiums. And then no matter what you get to claim it when you're 80 years old. Right. So in yep. reality, they invented like, well, they just this is just a retirement account. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> or it gets paid, you know, so but still, I was like, that's very funny. The funeral directors or the whole funeral industry, because animals yeah. still die. So now the funeral people have taken over giving like elaborate funerals for pets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, like and there's always and every time they talk, the book talks about it, they mention like lizards and and I don't know, that <laughs> just cracked me stuff. up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the idea of like giving a funeral for a lizard. <laughs> and, you know, the church is also like in uh, a tizzy too, because like they know that like most of the reason that people give a shit about religion is because of not knowing what happens when we're done and what happens when you're not done anymore, you know? So like, and then also the church is kind of like, does this mean that there is no God sort of or something Mm -hmm. or has God abandoned us? And, and that's a huge problem for them too. It's, it's interesting. And I, I think it's so funny because like, It is funny that you get all of these kind of like, I mean, most of the book is preoccupied with the the concerns of how 
the world and society will keep marching forward through this uh, seeming, I don't know, crisis. But it's also very, very funny to me that it's only one country. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, it only happens here. And then especially it becomes really funny when it's like death is like literally personified. Death is a, a, a person and a figure. So then I'm like, is there a death for every country? You know, it's just, I don't know. It's just funny <laughs> to think about those yeah. parts of it. <laughs> Yeah, it is just to go back to the church thing for a second, like there's a lot of passages about how the whole point is like the death and then resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then that's Mm -hmm. sort of the Christian idea is like we die and then we're resurrected in heaven. And it's funny because I guess I never really thought too much about the fact that that's our quote unquote resurrection. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I mean, I guess I never really thought about it like that when I did believe in that kind of thing, that it was like we're dying and then we're being resurrected. I just kind of thought like. I think that might be part of the Apostles Creed, which we said in church. But I guess I, yeah, I don't know. I barely listened when I was there. So, (laughs) but yeah, but then also like, I mean, that's the other thing too, is am I at, did I actually remember it? And I just can't remember it this many years later, but um, I know. The other thing is, is, yeah, the whole miracle of Jesus Christ, the reason why they think he's the Messiah is because he died and rose again. So, like, what would Jesus be if he just, like, never died? <laughs> like, yeah. he was on the cross or whatever and then just, like, in a coma forever? Yeah. Like, he yeah. would not be there anymore. And how do you explain that? Like, or even I'm sure the church was freaking out about in the future. How are you going to explain to people who've never experienced death in this country what death and resurrection is? Yeah. Which that doesn't come to pass. But yeah. I think this book is also it's kind of interesting to me because like it is considered like more compassionate to keep people in your home forever with like. I don't know, this, this kind of suspended animation for for forever, potentially. And it's interesting, because one family, the first family that that thinks of this, it's a grandfather, he's, he's, you know, he's trying to die, essentially, but he can still like speak to his family. And also his grandson, infant grandson is in a like a permanent death coma, essentially. And he tells his family, take me over the border of the country so that I can die and like, let me bring, you know, and bring the boy with me. And and then we can both be at peace and at rest forever um, the way Mm -hmm. that is the natural order. And to me, that seemed like really benevolent and like the right thing to do. But then there was like huge debates, you know, like in the country is like, this is wrong. This is the wrong thing to do. And like, it was it became like criminal to do that and then the mafia took over and doing it and performing that and like running bodies over the border into the point where that like the neighboring countries like posted up soldiers and stuff like basically a war to to stop it from happening i don't know what did you think of like the way that the book kind of handled that idea of like it being maybe akin to like murder or something. Yeah. Well, the first thing I thought of was the scene from Monty Python and the Holy Grail when the guy, the like, they are collecting the corpses. 
and they're yeah. yelling out, bring out, <laughs> bring your, out your bed. Dad. And then yeah. the one guy comes out and he's like, I'm not the dead old yet. The man is like, yeah, I'm not dead yet. And then he's like, can you do anything about it? And then the guy like clubs him on the head. And it's like, okay. <laughs> That's the first thing I thought of. But yes, I mean, part of it, it was definitely still sad, like the grandfather making that oh, decision. I cried. But I, yeah. yeah, but it was, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I'm laughing because it's like knowing that that Sarah Mago sort of wrote it to be critical of these families. <laughs> While I was reading it, yeah, I'm the same. I didn't actually think so. I mean, the, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it's dependent. And obviously, at a certain point, there were families. The book made it clear, like, people are just, like, bringing everybody over there, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. to get rid of them. But I, I guess maybe it's my perspective on, like, the way that I... I guess maybe like I view my end of life, <laughs> you know, my personal end of life, which is just that like, I want to be as little of a hassle <laughs> as humanly possible. Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily want like, big funerary like processions or anything like that i'm i'm not particular about the way that uh, my body will be handled etc you know aside from you know with love from the people who love me but like i think maybe that's part of it i don't know because like to me the idea of me being constantly you know, I don't know, let's assume I'm 88 years old or whatever, and I were to slip into one of these death comas. And then uh, what, like, eventually, like, generations and generations and generations down the line, like, my great, 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 great grandchild's gonna have, like, 27 people to look after. Yeah, (laughs) you know, who are just (laughs) deteriorating. (laughs) Yes. Well, and like for me too, like I do read kind of a lot about death and sort of the Western culture, how we deal with it. And especially when it comes to like, the fact that we never stop with medical intervention. Yeah. And at a certain point, like, is this actually good for the person who is dying? Or is this for the living who just don't want to let go? Yet. Yeah. Yeah. So that's definitely what the kind of perspective that I came from to for this is it's uh-huh. like is you know who is the who is keeping these people alive like who is that for you know uh-huh. um so yeah I didn't realize and then yes at a certain point but like the yeah the family that started it I was like you know for the grandfather anyway I yeah, it was it. his request. Yeah. 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 I also think that I understand the other country's perspective because the human body is like that releases what like a lot of carbon. Yeah. <laughs> and like that can infect your water source. And now yeah. all of these people are burying all of these bodies in other countries. Like yeah. what is this doing to their ecosystem and their water source and how, like are they Which is try why to it's grow funny crops? that yeah. the book is like, the answer was like, so simple, a child could come up with it, which was to bring the body back after it's died yeah. <laughs> and bury them at home. The whole thing, <laughs> here's what I'll say. The whole thing with the mafioso, it's uh-huh. very funny that they decided to go with PH instead of F. Yeah. <laughs> I guess <laughs> like it was such a random thing that it is funny. But that part did go on so long, and I was like... You should explain that. That means they spell mafia with a PH instead of an F. Yes. <laughs> for some reason. 
so and so the the mafia basically saw this opportunity to like get money by bringing dying smuggling people bodies over. yeah yeah and so the families would pay them a fee uh and all that and so that whole thing did feel like it took a really long time <laughs> to yes. get through that section and i just am not even in real life i the mob i'm just not that interested <laughs> So, Never have been. Yeah, no, I know. This sort of organized crime also just doesn't interest me a whole lot. But because there was this whole thing within like, so the other countries were mad at this country's government for allowing this. But then when the government sent out vigilantes to try to stop the mafia, stop their body racket, the mafia was then killing these vigilantes. Yes. And then what they they posted soldiers, but then they took them away. And then it was sort of how did they work that out? Because did they put a quota on or or right? You said that they they bring the bodies back. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's what it was. They realized that they could bring the bodies back and then the families could bury them at home the way you normally would have. Yeah. Um, But like originally, like the government was all like like, was mostly against it um, in terms of like the like optics wise like what is it what does it mean what does it look like if all of these families are sending their their members to be you know uh extinguished <laughs> on the other mm-hmm. side of the border the frontier as it is called which reminded me that we read that book frontier by ken oh, yeah. shui <laughs> yeah <laughs> which was also a strange little book um but then yes so they did that but uh, but also the government like they kind of would turn a blind eye to like some families doing it like let there be like sort of a small trickle because they also recognized that this helped alleviate some of the logistical problems which is like namely old people's homes and infirmary wards etc like becoming overrun with these bodies that they couldn't do anything with Mm -hmm. um you know that they didn't have space for that they didn't have the manpower to care for uh and so like they they kind of saw it as a necessary evil as well yeah yeah i don't know but then eventually one day the the minister is he a minister he's like the the minister of television the director general (laughs) The director general of yeah. television for the for the country enters his office in the morning and finds a little purple envelope on his desk. And it, it is a very alarming letter that he takes very seriously, even though it could ha- I would have assumed it was fake and a hoax. I guess that's just my um, predisposition. But he takes it very seriously and he takes it to the prime minister. He has to beg to see the prime minister. And then that night on television, they announced to everybody that at midnight, all of the people who have not died over the last i think it was like seven or eight months will die all at the same time and then they do and death begins again but this time death will be bringing letters for everybody to warn them one week in advance of when they will be dying when i was reading this i asked zach like if you knew you were gonna die in seven days which is also the plot of the ring (laughs) right you watch (laughs) you watch the videotape and then um yeah and I was like, what What could you even do? Because like, normally when people, you know, the so, sort of like the idea is, you know, if you know you, when you're going to die, you're going to like go travel or go do whatever. But it's like, you can't really do any of that because you only have seven days. So you Not don't want to days. at least for us where we live, we don't want to sit in a plane for nine hours to go to London or whatever. 
Right. <laughs> you know, that's a waste of those nine hours. I don't know. I mean, the the people, some of them will like go have like drug fueled orgies, which also, no, I know not for me. That. <laughs> I can try to eat as much food as I could. <laughs> that's, that's exactly the first thing Zach said. He's like, "Well, I wouldn't go to work, and I would eat whatever I wanted." <laughs> And I mean, I agree, like, I'm very food motivated. So that's definitely what I would want to do. But yeah, but yeah, there's just not a whole lot that you can do in just seven days. That's like, no, no, different I think from your normal life. And her idea is like, you'll get your will in order. <laughs> you'll, yeah. you'll talk to your cousin who you haven't spoken to in 20 years or whatever. And it's like, no, <laughs> no, probably not. I yeah, don't know. I think I would be one of those people that was just like filled with terror the whole time. I I would rather much much rather be taken by surprise than than to have like a countdown clock over oh, yeah. my head, you know. And I, I wouldn't tell anybody either. Uh, yeah, I don't think I would either. Then I'm going to be surrounded by like crying people. And although well, they hopefully. they might know when I just <laughs> quit my job <laughs> and start. <laughs> eating extravagantly for every meal of the day (laughs) see i have i have perfected my not responding to phone calls or texts (laughs) enough to where nobody would notice a seven-day absence (laughs) yeah hold on i've got i was there was one thing i remember thinking i wanted to read but i literally don't remember what it's about anymore i just know what page it was on oh (laughs) um in regards this is in regards to like the way the book is written i don't know if this is a good place to put it i mean (laughs) but we talked about it already like the you know there is like a lot of a lot of time given to like the logistics etc but then like as as we learn about death herself the book starts to uh, tell us about her and which then becomes like very much more kind of about like fantasy if you will mm-hmm. like fantasy writing specifically and then this book which which takes itself rather seriously or at least the narrator of this book whoever they happen to be takes themselves very seriously has to defend like the gaps in like logic <laughs> that occur mm-hmm. uh so here's uh, i don't know how to where to start exactly um so here we go some will object that such a thing is impossible that death being ubiquitous cannot therefore be in any one particular place from which one can deduce the impossibility both material and metaphysical of locating and defining what we normally understand by the word sender or in the meaning uh intended here the place from which the letter came Others will also object, albeit less speculatively, that since a thousand policemen have been looking for death for weeks on end, scouring the entire country house by house with a fine-tooth comb, as if in search of an elusive louse, highly skilled in evasive tactics, and have still found neither hide nor hair of her, it is clear as day that if no explanation has yet been given as to how death's letters reach the mail, we are certainly not going to... Uh, be told by what mysterious channels the returned letter has managed to reach her hands. We humbly recognize that our explanations about this and much more have been sadly lacking. We confess that we are unable to provide explanations that will satisfy those demanding them unless taking advantage of the reader's credulity and leaping over the respect owed to the logic of events, we were able 
or we were to add further unrealities to the congenital reality unreality of this fable, we now realize that such faults seriously undermine our story's credibility. However, none of this, we repeat, none of this means that the violet colored letter to which we referred was not returned to its sender. (laughs) (laughs) I think that might, oh, that is, that is a couple of sentences. (laughs) Yeah. But so one day death is going about her work, writing her letters to the people that, that will be dying, you know, in a week's time when a letter is returned to her. And that is what is, you know, being discussed, the the credibility of something like that happening. But as the book explains, we don't really even understand how the letters got out in the first place. So we there's no point in trying to explain how it was returned to her. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) I like I like that it takes the time to be like, there might be a loophole here. But guess what? We don't know what it is. And all we know is that this is what happened. (laughs) Yeah, I like that, too. And she where she lives is this like subterranean room. And there's just a desk and then file cabinets and then her but her scythe is like just lying against the wall. And there is one moment where she decides to go out. Yeah, she does talk to it and it kind of talks back, but she decides to go out and like uh, figure out more about why this letter keeps getting returned. And she says like the way she sends out the letters is she just like flicks her hand and all the letters mm-hmm. get sent. And so she says something to the side like, okay, I've wrote, written all these letters. I'm going to go out for a while. I think you can handle it. All you do is lean against the wall. <laughs> Like, it's just i don't know little funny things like that happen in the book uh in, yeah well in like, the middle of like walls of text <laughs> that are very funny the man whose letter it you know the the letter belongs to he's just like a cellist not like the world's best cellist or anything he's just a cellist in an orchestra in the city and he lives with his dog and he doesn't have any partners or anything and he just he just goes about his lovely little life really it sounds kind of sweet and like there are times when his dog talks to him <laughs> too, yeah just very funny like when the dog he's like He's talking to his dog because it's after he has met death. The cellist meets death and death has actually been to the man's apartment and he she sat on his couch and the dog comes up and sits in death's lap. And actually, that's a very sweet moment because it talks about how it's the first time she ever had a dog sit in her lap. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, man, truly one of the great joys of being alive. And, you know, death is is death alive. I guess so. And then later, the dog is like, you know what? I kind of remember sitting in a lady's lap. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, it was just, it's funny the way that it, it plays with the, the ideas of like, I don't know, inanimate objects or things having thoughts and feelings that we maybe don't always consider. Okay. So we're going to talk a little bit more. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about the ending and what it means. Uh huh. So there you go. There's your spoiler warning. (laughs) Okay. So first of all, the dog is black, right? Oh. Is the cellist Satan? (gasps) Oh. Because isn't there like hellhounds or whatever? that are depicted as black dogs in like folklore. Yeah. In Harry Potter, uh, Boo, Hiss, etc. Um, <laughs> Sirius Black is the big dog and he is like considered an omen of death. So maybe. Yeah. 
That's I don't my know. entire understanding of mythology, by the way. And that's like, because that made me think of that when the dog, like you said, laid on her lap, is how would she be able to feel the dog? Yeah. If not, and why would he be able to speak to the dog? True. And then the other thing that I want to talk about is, so at the very end, she's going to like stay with this cellist okay yes she falls <laughs> in love with them cellist <laughs> <laughs> and that mean, and it implies i think she's going to take a break from sending the letters death's yes. going to take another break so was her first break also her falling in love with somebody else i know yeah i don't know because the book ends the same way that it begins it ends Mm -hmm. well it it begins with the line the next day nobody died or the following day no one died and then the last line of the book is uh the following day no one died so is is she just going around falling in love all the time or i don't know what was that first break about she doesn't ever really explain herself and she doesn't seem to remember anything except being deaf yeah like how she got there or anything else and then there is a part where like in her little apartment there's a door and the side is like surprised when she goes through the door finally because she usually because doesn't. she's never been through it yeah she usually just like discorporates or whatever <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying that right, but <laughs> and she comes out and she looks like a human and death is like, oh, yeah, it's like a whole wardrobe in there. There's like tons of stuff. And like, yeah. why would you need tons of stuff unless you're co- sort of regularly used it before becoming yeah. a human? I don't know, because I think it's also explained as as an experiment the first time that nobody dies. Yeah, that that she just kind of did it to just like see what would happen in a yeah. way maybe so yeah i don't know and 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 it's not like she chose the cellist to fall in love with it's just that like his letter keeps getting returned to her and then she goes out and i don't know because because it also doesn't really explain how she normally kills people does it no but it does mention that she did not kill oh god my mind's blanking what's the writer proust yes <laughs> she yeah. doesn't she's not the one who killed him right so there was a different death there is multiple deaths or... yes there is a different death in france I yes is <laughs> the implication which is just like what happens when there's like when borders move and stuff <laughs> i don't know yeah you take on more i don't know um but yes uh that's sorry that's far afield from what we were talking about a little bit um <laughs> uh yeah so i don't know because because it i mean is she supposed to be she should have known then i would assume that she didn't go out to kill him if that's how it normally works if she goes out and she like takes them or something that's not really ever explained it just sort of seems like she's surprised when the letter appears and she finds out that he was supposed to die supposed to have died like two days before which means that it was like nine days from when he was originally supposed to have gotten the letter and there is like it is also sort of implied that there is somebody else like there's other uh spiritual things going on yeah like it doesn't explicitly say yeah and it doesn't say that there is a god but it's like oh death would be the opposite of god or something like that that's what people think so i don't know if this is sort of saying like 
God is causing her to fall in love with these people or right. somebody else is orchestrating this. I don't know. And will things no, I was going to say will things return to normal, but no because the next day no one dies. So, yeah. I don't know. It's also, interesting. Uh, this feels timely, but there's a black cat out in my backyard. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> That's bad luck, right? Yeah. One more um, one more thing on in the column of the cellist is mm-hmm. the Satan is Satan is Charlie Daniels band song. The devil went down to Georgia. The devil plays a fiddle, which is just a smaller cello. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, it counts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I also really like that the cellist is like sort of like. I mean, he's good enough to play in an orchestra, but he's, like, not that good. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and he's, like, he knows it, too. He's, like, stop showing up. He's like, she goes to his symphony or whatever, and he's, like, it's not about me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, which also just reminds me, Josh has been playing with, like, a, a community um, orchestra recently, and there was a performance a little while ago. And every time I, I don't know, I just, I don't see him play bass all that often. He plays upright bass. Mm-hmm. And, um... Every once in a while when I see it and on the stage, like with cellos and then violas and violins at the same time, I'm like, I can't help myself but laugh really hard that a bass is just a really, really, really big violin. (laughs) (laughs) It just seems so just like incredibly silly to me, but (laughs) there we have it. But yeah, um, I don't know. What else do we want to do? We want to continue on. What do you what is it all about? What is life all about? (laughs) yeah i mean i like in general i don't really know if i am supposed to get like an overall feeling from this book i do think that you're right that he might have poked a bit of fun at critics and also (laughs) sometimes i wondered if this was a response to a specific country's government or like a time period or something like that but I don't know. It was kind of fun to read. Yeah. And that's about it. I didn't really understand. <laughs> I I guess the, the part with death was sort of the hardest to understand, like to get like something out of it. But I also really liked death. <laughs> like, I thought she was kind of cool and interesting. So I don't really mind it. <laughs> She's like a super hot, like 36, 37 year old or whatever. Obsessed with that because it was like she was still very young 36 or 37 i was like excuse me yes (laughs) just kidding yeah i i found this i will say like for anybody considering this and i don't i don't mean this to to warn you off of it like i think you've got to be in a particular mood for a type of book because it is as we have said already, very, very heavy on like the political, logistical, economical like implications of something like this happening for the first at least 50% of the book. Mm-hmm. And then after that is when we start getting, you know, the little story with death. Before that, there's maybe like one or two sections that are like actual stories about like individuals happening which is where you get the story about the family who takes the grandfather and grandson across the border otherwise it is not particularly plot driven (laughs) yeah so you may find that difficult if that's not what you're used to or looking for but i do think it's a a very i don't know a very interesting i don't know format book sort of mixture of myth and 
political foibles. <laughs> I mm-hmm. don't know <laughs> what to call it. Yeah. And it is like a very interesting way it's written too. So if in general, if you're just kind of like to read somebody who's doing different things with sentence structure. <laughs> yeah, it would be. And I will, I will also say this book has probably been on my TBR for like 15 years. I remember coming across it, shelving the fiction section when I worked in a bookstore and reading the description of it. And so I finally had an opportunity to read it here with this prompt. So I guess prompts work. They don't necessarily work with reading books you already own, but (laughs) 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 they might work (laughs) with um, jogging your memory for things that you've been thinking about reading for nearly two decades. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening to the bookstore. If you would like to support the podcast beyond listening, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash the bookstore or rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And you can find all of the ways to contact us uh, at thebookstorepodcast.com. Our next book discussion will be The Yield by Tara June Winch. You can find it at your local bookstore or library and read along with us. The Bookstore is a production of Awkwardly Social Media, produced by Becky Young and Corinne Keener. Technical and production support is provided is provided by Josh Bourdon and Zach Titus. And John, if you're out there, thanks for listening. See you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. I say scythe. Other people I have heard call it scythe. So I'm not sure about that.